Welcome to another episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on Cine Nation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories in them. And it's holiday season, which means instead of talking about families and kind of sweetness of holidays, we're talking about holiday horror this this month. Uh, it's going to be a fun month. Before we do that, uh, I want to set the record straight, Thomas. We, we, did, we did Neon Noir last month. <laughs> and I received the text from you at one point at the very end of the month when when uh, when my to, our to live and die la episode came out and and what were what were your what were your qualms i guess you could say about, about I, that I, I i feel like my my thoughts on on uh on streets of fire were summarized uh as as me being uh, uh not a style guy uh <laughs> something just like oh well thomas thomas couldn't see through the script to see the the real style of it and i was like excuse me it wasn't just the script <laughs> There's also some performances. Uh, there, there, there were other issues going on there. But I'm a style guy. I like style. Uh-huh. Uh, I like drive. But uh, yeah, you like. I, I think it was oversimplified by like, oh, Thomas just didn't understand how how cool this movie was. Yeah, I think I was overcorrecting because I felt like I didn't push it enough on the episode. <laughs> so I was like, nah, I gotta throw Thomas on the bus here and just like <laughs> convince someone to go watch it. Um, uh, so my apologies for for, okay. for doing that to you. <laughs> uh, I like it a lot. It was funny because my David, my roommate, watched it, and he was kind of in the middle where he's like, "I see both cases of like why Thomas didn't like it and then why you liked it." But I was like, "Yeah, if you read my review and Thomas's review on Letterboxd, it's weirdly close to the same review, but <laughs> just like different in stars." Mm-hmm. Um, but so yeah, I, I guess I was overcorrecting for that, so I apologize, and then I just wanted Anna to see it. <laughs> she was loving she was loving Willem Dafoe's cheekbones and to live and die in LA and mm-hmm. I wanted to give her the opportunity to see young William Willem Dafoe uh in Streets of Fire. Um but yeah, and also we got a meme off of off of Streets of Fire, uh the retrograde podcast who, guys who I I, I, I talked about Blues Brothers uh, about a year or so ago. They did a, a meme for us, so thank you for that. I guess that they, they loved Willem Dafoe's look in Streets of Fire, and I guess it should be memed more. So mm-hmm. there you go. Um yeah, and don't forget we we have a uh, we had two uh, Patreon episodes come out last month with uh, our Richard Gear episode and then our Maltese Falcon episode. So be sure to join the Patreon. We're still planning our kind of December uh, episodes. We're gonna have a New Year's Eve slash recap episode at the very end of the month, but we'll come up with some other kind of movie. Uh, Christmas movie episode for the first month so, so stay tuned for that join our Patreon if you can the $1 $5 and $10 uh, uh, levels but that's on the Patreon and on this month in the main episodes we're talking about holiday horror as I said in the opening and Thomas this is one that you wanted to do mm-hmm. right that was kind of this is the one you pitched why like why did you want to do holiday horror I guess what do you think of with holiday horror what comes to mind well i think because you, you, you and i both have a lot of kind of holiday holiday horror movies that we like and and it's it feels like a like a sub sub genre of the anti-christmas movies that we covered uh was that last year we did it two years ago two years two years ago two years ago two yeah, years Christmas ago adjacent. we did anti-christmas movies yeah yeah um that, and just the idea of these movies and and i think when we were kind of picking anti-christmas movies at that point we kind of left christmas horror out of it because we were like yeah we, we might come back to this but it is this weird kind of because we, we established with those it's this idea of you can take christmas as a setting and it's just this like pre-built um 
you know all all the feelings of christmas are just like boom now everyone knows exactly what the setting is everyone knows exactly what you're doing and then you can play with that and a lot of the ones that we watch are kind of like dark action movies or or mysteries and that sort of thing and 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 hook and that was another one (laughs) uh but something else you can do and, and a lot of people have figured out how to do is you can take that setting and you can really twist it and you can make yeah. a, a horror movie. And and usually a lot of these are, are kind of fun. They're kind of tongue in cheek um, because it is kind of it's a horror movie and I wouldn't call any of it parody, but it is kind of playing with the tropes of the Christmas season. And so yeah. so it is something very interesting to look into. And and so when when December rolled around this year, we were kind of brainstorming. We we're like, have we covered all the the Christmas genres? And I was like, well, you know. You and I both especially love this movie, and then I think we've yep. both got some some other ones within this sub subgenre that we really like. So yeah, it's time to tackle it. Yeah, and and it was it was hard to p- pick because you you suggested, and I was like, ah, oh, is is there enough? Because I know like we both love today's movie, Black Christmas, the original Black Christmas, and there's Gremlins, and I know you liked. Uh, we, we we both enjoyed a movie called Better Watch Out, mm-hmm. uh, which all, all three were dis- discussing this month. But I was like, is there an, is there a fourth one in there to kind of do, and is it worth discussing? And like you kind of just said, I think it is, and I think it's also it's an interesting subgenre just because like it every few years you'll get like a Christmas horror film mm-hmm. um, or horror or or like I think this year you kind of have violent night which is like is it an action film or is it a horror film people kind of it's it hasn't come out yet so people kind of debated that i think it's a mixture of both mm-hmm. um in some way uh but you have like you had krampus before like and it's also like it feels like with this genre horror as a whole can be or uh, in most people's minds horror can be kind of schlocky and b-movie and low level mm-hmm. and i've or low budget and i feel like with christmas horror i think it's become a, it's a lot of people make a christmas horror just because it's kind of easy to do it's like santa with kills yeah. is kind of the thing mm-hmm. so you'll see a lot of that like i'm looking at the the list now and it's like so many different krampus re- like uh uh movies and then it's like um christmas sleigh guess how that's spelled red <laughs> christmas silent night bloody night silent night deadly night it's mm-hmm. it's always how to turn um certain movies into it uh and and some of them are good a lot of them from these lists i see not that good so (laughs) but we're kind of talking about the cream of the crop i think this month with the holiday horror genre and it's a genre that like it i think with this movie today uh with black christmas it's that's kind of there's ones before that but black christmas is kind of the originator in holiday horror but also in, in one of the early examples of the slasher movie which we'll discuss more on in depth and we've discussed the slasher genre before um but yeah i think this genre is interesting like you said because it takes it's the irony of taking a family holiday a joyful holiday and turning it into some sort of horror mm-hmm. uh in some way and and that can be interesting or it could be just a a quick cash grab um and i think that will that those two things will come into play today when discussing black christmas so we i picked black christmas but like you said we both enjoy this film and so what is your um well actually let me, let me 
me me backtrack. Let me introduce Black Christmas first before we before we do that. So Black Christmas released in 1974. It is a Canadian slasher film, one of the earliest slasher films out there, and directed by Bob Clark, which I think is hysterical that almost a decade later, Bob Clark would also direct a Christmas story. <laughs> um, so he is kind of the king of Christmas and kind of the uh, um the eccentric Christmas, I guess you could say in some way in terms of the genre. Um, but directed by Bob Clark at starring Olivia Hussey, who was famous for Romeo and Juliet when she played mm-hmm. Juliet, uh, Kier Dulay, who plays Peter, Olivia Hussey uh, plays Jess. Olivia Hussey is Jess plays Jess's boyfriend, uh, Margot Kidder, who plays Barb, John Saxon, who plays Lieutenant Fuller, and then other actors as in, uh, um, Andrea Martin, who plays Phil, one of the, one of the uh, uh, sorority girls in the movie. And the movie is about these sorority girls who are spending the time, spending the Christmas holiday at the sorority house. And somehow a killer, a mysterious killer gets into the house and begins picking them off one by one while also giving, calling the, uh, the house phone and, and leaving very obscene messages or talking to them, getting, having very obscene phone calls to the sorority girls and it's kind of playing on the babysitter and the man upstairs myth that has been kind of done several times before in movies. But this was kind of a, uh, I said, originator of this slasher genre and the holiday horror genre. And I came to this movie a few years ago, but Thomas, what is your history with this movie? Uh, what was your initial initial reaction when you first saw it? I think I think you recommended it to me uh, okay. a couple a couple Halloweens ago, and I put it on late one night. I was working on a movie, and I was home, but I had to be up to like send an email at like three a.m. So I I put it on at like midnight <laughs> and uh, was watching it by myself, and it is it is it is creepy. It is a, a yeah. creepy movie. And I've revisited it a couple times since then. I've, I've recommended it to several people as well. And, and it's one it's, yeah, it's, it's, it really feels different than any other, other kind of slashers that came after it. And it, and it's one that continues and it's very rare for a horror movie for me, but it's one that continues to kind of creep me out every time I come yeah. back to it. I think that's because Bob Clark does a great job of setting the stage of it's a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. And then just slowly but surely it becomes a horror film. Um, and not slowly, but it becomes a horror film. And the the killer, for some spoiler alerts, this movie, the killer, which you never see, weirdly has a very memorable personality. Mm-hmm. It's You never find out who it is. Um, you never see who it is, but the, the killer is so, I mean, those calls are so shocking mm-hmm. even for today of like what they, what he says to these girls. I mean, it's, it's, it's eerie. It, it's shocking. It's terrifying. And, uh, it's handled incredibly well. And yeah, it's just the way the atmosphere is where you, you could, for, you could see this movie being, like even the the opening of the film, the the way you come in, it's like it's the colors are vibrant. You get the Christmas colors when Olivia Hussey's walking into the house, and it just feels like welcoming and inviting. And then just also just like seventies cinematography is just very different than mm-hmm. modern cinematography. I mean, there's it's very dark, it's very contrasty, 
the colors when they when it's in kind of a dark setting, it's they're, they're very striking, and they really did a great job in this movie with that. Mm-hmm. And and yeah, it's one that I found I think at the video store, and like you said, I I recommend it to you. I recommend it to a lot of people because it's one that I think if people are wanting a a horror film for one, but they want something different for the Christmas month, it it's it's kind of the perfect choice for that. And it's one that I think still holds up as time has gone on because because the movie is an odd film, especially in the back hat, like kind of the ending of it. And that oddness, which we'll discuss more, is like was a little standout was was kind of unique for the time, but is what has made the film last, I think, as I mean, we're 50 years since it came out. Uh, it's still kind of a, a. I think it's even growing in legacy as we as we'll talk later on. But like more people are finding this movie, mm-hmm. and it's been remade twice before. <laughs> so so you can you can tell that there is some ground that people like want to explore with Black Christmas. Uh, I think we'll discuss uh, why those others didn't work as well. I haven't seen the recent one, but I turned on the 2006 version right after this. And it was night and day difference. Mm-hmm. And I I don't have much to say about Black Christmas in a positive the, the 06 version in a positive light, except I except I like the cast. Yeah. You I don't know, know if it, I like it was funny. I don't know if I like them in the movie, but I like the cast. When I was when I was kind of doing the the recasting that we'll do at the end of the episode, I was like, honestly, if if you had told me like do a two thousands cast, it would probably be the people that are in this movie. It, the 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 yeah. remake is a is a fantastic cast and then it's just it it's a it's a script problem it's a story telling problem that yeah yeah they, they decide to go way too hard into the lore of um and right out of the gate yeah. right out of the gate i was like i i, I literally was why i was like nope don't like <laughs> this don't like it yeah um yeah it's an interesting one you can see the the influence of the original black christmas on the slashers that came after it and then when they went yeah. back and remade black christmas they're like well we've got to make it more like the slashers that came after it after. <laughs> including the like overly long uh slasher backstory that the i think the later halloween movies gave us <laughs> yeah because like with the 06 version it's like you there's so many flashbacks like when the killer was young and his connection with the house and why the I think the sorority girls leave a, a a Christmas present for him every year as as part of the the lore of that or the lore of the the sorority house or whatever it's and the, and they make the killer they give him like some sort of like it's got jaundice dis- right and he's like bright it's yellow jaundice, yes he's bright yellow and there's like an incest angle it's all this stuff it's very it's very odd and not in a good odd like this movie and it it just feels so mid two thousands like the way it's shot um. Like that, that that mythology that's added on to it. I think the kills are so like they're brutal and gruesome. And this movie isn't really that way with the kills. Mm-mm. Um it's it's very pulled back. It's 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 similar to what Halloween would do in the first movies. It's it's not it's not really bloody for the most part. The kills are shocking mm-hmm. for sure. And, but and it's, it's more about the the aftermath and the kind of the yes. posing, the 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 posing of the bodies is what's really scary, which is also kind of what, what Carpenter does with the, with the first Halloween movie. 
exactly so so yeah so as you can tell we both like this movie as we said and we haven't really discussed all the other stuff about it but let's let's dive into the history of this movie and how it got to production um and kind of see all the issues that came about with this movie (laughs) uh so in the early 1970s the horror genre was a low rent genre most of the films coming from north america were full of schlocky thrills while overseas you were seeing hammer horror films like these kind of more these british horror films that were uh i guess more sophisticated you could say you're getting anthology horror films like tales from the crypt and then you also have the early beginnings of the giallo genre in italy and places at this point but most producers saw the horror genre as a way to make a quick buck and as we talked about in october we would see the rise of the slasher genre in the 1970s the same year that toby hooper's groundbreaking groundbreaking film the texas chainsaw massacre was released a low budget film a low budget horror film in canada would be released as well and that would be black christmas and like texas chainsaw massacre this movie was influenced by a real life crime so canadian screenwriter a roy moore also roy moore but not the Alabama politician roy moore <laughs> uh began to develop a horror film that he claimed was inspired by a series of murders that had occurred during the holiday season in the west Ma- westmont area of montreal in canada the murders occurred in 1943 when a 14 year old boy killed several of his family members in the house that he lived hmm. uh moore was also inspired by the urban legend of the babysitter and the man upstairs which would later inspire the 1979 film when a stranger calls uh i was shocked when i watched that movie that 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 whole kind of premise is only in the first like 20 minutes of the film <laughs> and the rest is a whodunit type thing mm-hmm. uh it was it was odd to see uh it seems two producers harvey sherman and richard shouton would get involved in the film's production and they would hire another screenwriter timothy bond to rewrite more script giving it a college setting which apparently was not in Moore's original script. Uh, the current version of this script, or the one that Moore originally wrote, and then the, the title that was that kept that was that was kept on uh, was called "Stop Me." So the movie was going to be called "Stop Me," which is a very generic title. <laughs> um, the script would then find its way to film director Bob Clark. Now Clark was an American director who was living in Canada at the time because it was a tax haven for him. And Clark had made several films and a few horror films in America before he moved to Canada. So he was in this very small market and he was seen as a big fish in a little pond. So pretty much people wanted him to direct their film because he was the only one who had experience directing movies in Canada at this point. So Clark would come on board and make several important changes that would have, that would help the movie stand out from other low budget horror films of the era. He felt the movie was too by the numbers and he wanted to make a more sophisticated horror film. He wanted all the college girls to feel like adults and be astute is what he said. And he wanted them to add humor to their conversation. So one of the, one of the big sections he added was when Barb played on Mario Kidder is drunk and talking about turtles having sex. <laughs> um, he, he wanted to add humor and give them all kind of three, a uh, three dimensional character basically. Mm-hmm. I think he also added the character of Mrs. Mack, the sorority mother, that he based off his real-life aunt, is what he said. <laughs> uh, he made he also made it to where the deaths were not that gruesome because he 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 didn't want it to be over the top and bloody. Basically, mm-hmm. he also made it the key the the one of the biggest changes. He made it to where you never actually know the identity of the killer, 
something that was very out of the ordinary for the time. Uh, Moore was initially against this idea, but soon came around to Clark's idea of not showing the killer. Mm -hmm. Uh, Another kind of rule that he had when writing the characters was that he wanted to write female characters without objectifying them sexually or give them nude scenes. He wanted them to come off as real people and not disposable horror characters waiting to die is what the plan was. Another important decision that Clark would make would be to change the title of the film from stop me to black Christmas feeling that the title's irony would grab people more after making the script changes they felt would elevate the film and its genre Clark wanted to cast actors that were recognizable to audiences the first person he went to was Olivia Hussey who was famous for playing Juliet and Franco Zeffirelli's famous adaptation of Romeo and Juliet which came out six years prior I believe is what it was hmm. Hussey would later tell Clark that she signed on to the film to play Jess after a psychic told her that she would make a film in Canada that would earn a lot of money. <laughs> wow, that psychic really nailed it, huh? And because Black Christmas was shooting in Canada, she was like, this must be the movie she's talking yeah, about. What a, what a specific. I feel like psychics are supposed to stay pretty broad. <laughs> but she's like, you're going to make a film in Canada. It's going to make a great deal of money. <laughs> you should do it. And she's like, you know what? Fine. Uh, that's not the first psychic that won't be the last psychic story uh on this episode funny enough clark would next cast Kier delay as peter jess's boyfriend uh clark had sought to cast delay because of his lead performance in stanley kubrick's 2001 a space odyssey mm-hmm. uh delay said that he decided to do the movie because it was filming near where his parents lived and he was like i'll go make a movie near my parents yeah, that's nice it's all it's also reported that clark off- offered the role to another kubrick alum and that was Malcolm McDowell. Ooh. But he but he turned the film down. Yeah. I don't know how true it is. Clark says that Delay was his only choice, but the McDowell story is out there. And McDowell said that he would later regret not doing it because it made money. Um, he would then cast Canadian actress, Canadian American actress Marv Kidder, who was becoming a rising star after starring alongside Gene Wilder in Quakes Her Fortune Has a Cousin in the Bronx. That's the name of the movie. Can't say uh, I've seen that one. I haven't seen it either. Uh, I think he plays like Irish man is what it is. Uh, it was released in 1970. And then she starred in Brian De Palma's Sisters, which was released mm-hmm. in 1973. Kidder said she took the role of Barb because she was, because Barb was a wild and out of control character. And she didn't see her as a conventional lead female or a lead role. The next few casting choices that Clark would make would actually fall through. Uh, but there were some big names that were, possibly in line to be in black christmas for the role of mrs mack he initially offered the role to hollywood legend betty davis but she declined the role and it would go to marion waldman who plays mrs mack and then for the role of phyllis carlson carlson one of jess's best friends and one of the girls who survived the longest kind of the more comedic character of the bunch clark had cast gilda radner in the role wow look at that both second city uh well cause, yeah because because gilda radner was chicago second city and andrew martin was canadian was second city, yeah. yeah report said that she dropped out a month before filming due to commitments to to the beginnings of saturday night live but that timeline doesn't really match up for me <laughs> since snl would not begin airing until 1975 mm-hmm. and the movie comes out in 1974 if i had to guess she had other commitments well, to like national lampoon yeah they were doing that radio show at that point weren't they they're in the radio show yeah. they had just done lemmings in 19 in the beginning of 1973 
So I think she was probably doing stuff with that or Second City because she was also going back and forth from Chicago to in Toronto. Um, I think it was probably that. I don't know if I don't think Michael Lauren Michaels cast them that early, like a year and a half, because because it aired SNL airs in October of seventy five. I don't think he he hires them in uh like 73 <laughs> whenever they would have had to shoot this Fe- february 74 so a year and a half before yeah i don't think it's possible but she was up for it at least and, and had to back out so there was that for the role of lieutenant fuller the police officer who leads the in- investigation into the murders clark hired veteran actor edmund o'brien who acted in such early noir films as doa and the killers um is he, he's also is he on the wild bunch as well Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's in the wild, but yeah, yeah. I was like, I was like, I, I blanked for a second. Uh, so days away from production, when O'Brien arrived for rehearsals, Clark and the film's producers would realize that O'Brien was having difficulty remembering things. Mm. They said that he had difficulties remembering where he was uh, at the time, and he would have when they're having dinner, he would be, he would, he would, they'd be away from the hotel. He'd be, oh, I'm having to go up to the, my hotel room and go to sleep, and they're like, we're across town. Uh. So they soon began to realize that he was in early stages of Alzheimer's disease when he was on set. And they began to worry that putting O'Brien outside for night shoots could be dangerous uh, for him and the production. So they decided to let him go. One of the film's producers, Jerry or Jerry Arbend was the one that fired him. And Arbend said that O'Brien burst into tears when he heard the news that he was being fired and it seems pretty much right then O'Brien would retire from acting. Oh, man. Uh, not being in a movie past 1974, he would pass away 11 years later due to complications with Alzheimer's. Um, his his daughter, I think, talked about how, like, by the end, he was in, like, a mental institution, like, completely unaware of, like, who he was, the people around him. Wow. Um, because this firing, the production for Black Christmas was on the verge of being canceled, and they would quickly hire veteran actor John Saxon for the role of Lieutenant Fuller, and Saxon had read the script earlier, so he quickly accepted the role. He would then fly from New York to Toronto, arriving on set two days before production began. And now with production on the horizon, we move to our favorite scenes. So Thomas, what is one of your favorite scenes in this movie? uh or things about this movie well so yeah i mean here's here's the thing when when you're talking about the kills which i feel like is is the first thing we need to discuss um yeah. like like you said it's not violent but it's the 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 things that happen are so chilling and so i would you know i'm less affected by watching somebody get stabbed once than i am like keep like cutting back to claire in the on, in the rocking chair in the window rocking of the attic chair. and him and 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 quote unquote Billy muttering and like rocking her and she's got the just that like sc- open scream on her face it and 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 we just keep coming back to it and it's so the way it's shot is just like so in your face you can't escape it and he's he's yeah. muttering in your ear and like everything everything about Billy and and what they do with the voice and and the the things that he's saying all of those every time he's not on screen every time he's he's you hear him it is yeah. it is so chilling and um yeah. you know the, the the phone calls 
that that first phone call that we see that that Barb picks up and it's just kind of like, oh yeah, it's just a you know, one of those pervs. It's the moaner. Yeah, it's the yeah, moaner it's just, again. You know, that was a that was a problem in the seventies. That that happened to you sometimes. Um yeah. and then it's just that like at the end he's like, If you hang up, I'll kill you. And you're like, yeah. Oh, okay. And then it just gets weirder and weirder and the, the when he starts doing different voices and being the mom yeah. and the baby, what happened to the baby and Yeah. Um but yeah, that that first claire kind of the first time we it's not even like the killing of claire it's that first time we see her up there in the attic and then we just keep coming back to her and he's, he's yeah like rocking her and giggling and 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 the thing is like she's in the window mm-hmm. like it's like if anyone's outside and looks up they will see this random person in a rocking chair very like uh almost psycho-esque mm-hmm. it feels like um and see this 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 woman rocking in the chair back and forth but no one looks up it's like it's in plain sight mm-hmm. and no one looks up um but and yeah but that kill of but yeah the going back and forth to claire is chilling i think the kill they do of claire is at that this moment in time i think very original with how they do it where he basically he's hiding in the closet and claire hears a noise and walks in the closet and he basically wraps a like dry a cleaning, dress dry cleaning a dry bag. cleaning cup yeah bag over her and suffocates her mm-hmm. and it's and and because it's it's not bloody um it it is brutal and and that sets the tone for this movie and then the thing is is that there's not a lot of kills <laughs> in the movie for a while after that kill it that's what it turns into this kind of who done it is the thing of who's doing these killings and we're made aware it's this person in the attic when i guess the suspense comes into play is that no one else knows this character is in the attic mm-hmm. in the house but i think it's someone who just comes in and out um and does a kill in the park or whatever um and that's this kind of suspense and tension comes from but yet but what i like about the movie that i i, I forgot about before coming to it is you have the horror elements to it but clark and the and the writer roy moore do a good job of i think it's mostly clark from what i can tell is building out these characters to really have some sort of like life to them Mm -hmm. it's like jess has this whole plot line of she is pregnant with peter's baby Mm -hmm. and she wants to have an abortion um and i like the scenes with with between her and peter where she's having she's basically saying i don't want to have this baby because like you have dreams you want to follow i have dreams i want to follow let's just follow them <laughs> that's it's I, his argument is so i mean i think I, I for for being a movie written you know by a guy and, by and, guys, and directed yeah. by a guy um i, I do think and, and being made in 1974 i do think it, it has some pretty interesting things to say about uh, uh women's autonomy um yeah. but that like he's she, the fact that she catches him like she's she tells him she's pregnant on a day that he's just like maybe blown his like masters or whatever you know he's getting yeah. in, in piano and he's just like he's just like screw it i'm like my dreams are shot let's just have this baby and like give up on both of our dreams. And she's like, no, I'm still, <laughs> I've still got yeah. mine. <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I still got dreams. I want to follow. <laughs> just such a, like a toxic male thing to say. <laughs> well, my life's done. Let's just have yeah, this baby yeah. right now. Mm-hmm. 
this is this is a good this is this is my second second place choice let's go and she's like i'm still working on my first choice (laughs) oh man yeah but so but that adds like life to these characters where you have she's going through this completely separate plot line Mm -hmm. in her life this is the most important thing is that she's pregnant with this guy's baby and it's also and we'll talk a little bit more in the kind of legacy aspect of it but like this is coming out a year after Roe v. Wade in America. Mm-hmm. Um, or it's coming out in Canada, at least, after Roe v. Wade. So, like, it's this topic of abortion that feels like a very hot topic, but it's, they're very open about it and and kind of giving this woman the choice with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and ve- she's very apparently, I am making this choice. Like, I don't really, like, you can have your say, but this is, like, this is my choice at the end of the day. Um, and, yeah, and then you, but then you, you build out these characters of Margot Kidder as Barb, where Barb is just kind of the, she is kind of the loose cannon of the group. Mm-hmm. And, and you would think, I guess maybe it's just the point now I knew, I knew Mario Kidder uh, because Superman, you're expecting Mario Kidder to be like the lead character. Mm-hmm. Um, but she goes out. She, I mean, she goes out pretty late, but she, she's not as big as you think she would be. Yeah. Like she's pretty big early on. Like what she's the one kind of like, uh, very aggressive with the phone caller when he first calls, mm-hmm. um, and she's kind of the the fun one. Um, I, I, I like the scene <laughs> when they have the fraternity when they're doing the Christmas stuff or whatever, and he, the guy's dressed as Santa or whatever, mm-hmm. and like her, him and Mark Kidder like bickering back and forth because um, Kidder decides to uh, the plan is she's taking the girls to like a her parents like cabin or something is what it is. Mm-hmm. That's like, they're going on a ski re- ski trip because her parents have backed out of seeing her and they're going out of town. And so she's like, okay, let me take all my girlfriends up to the cabin and we're going to spend Christmas there. Um, which never happens. But the, but the Santa, the boyfriend of one of the, one of the girls is like so upset and he's just like cussing while he's seeing ki- yeah. in front of the kids as he's sitting in their lap to, and he's just like so pissed that he can't be with his girlfriend uh for the holidays uh you have another scene well i think uh one one of the kind of funny things i i think the moment you know i I, bob clark did kind of inject a lot of his energy throughout and like you said he had obviously had a lot of goals that he wanted to accomplish but i think the the moment in this movie when you most go like oh yeah this is the guy who made christmas story is when the uh when the like neighborhood watch shows up to the back door and it's just these yeah. like two like small town they're like well we're here oh, hey, guys. Yeah, we'll be around yeah. if you need us we'll be around oh hey and, and like they just pop up and are waving yeah. in the window and they're just like trying to close the door and they're like we'll be back by later everything's okay <laughs> but the 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 scariest i think the, the the scene from this movie that sticks with me and, and is up there with like i think one of the scariest things like put to film is when she discovers Barb and Phil and like collapses mm-hmm. to the floor. And then you've got that shot of Billy's eyeball and he just does the, it's me, Billy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That> is horrifying. <laughs> yeah. The voice, the voice is insane throughout the whole movie. It's, it's like, but yeah, the coming in and I love, I love the step of the house. Speaking of that, like mm-hmm. the way the house is kind of set up, um, they use it, incredibly well yeah everything um, everything feel i mean i know it's the, i know they weren't going for a 70s feel but like the aesthetic of this movie is great yes. even down to that like yellow shirt that olivia hussey's wearing through most of this movie the yellow yeah. shirt with like the vest is like 
just so not it's not even i don't want to say like 70s it's just so like early very specific like early 70s yeah well when watching this movie specifically or even just the early 70s in general a lot of times you you realize like how much we're how much or 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 the lack of color in our world Mm -hmm. with like and and like the vibrant colors oh yeah, yeah it's like it's like I think there was like a, a graph where you kind of show like there's less color now than there was like 50 years ago. Like, like just look at the cars. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at the 80s and 70s, cars could be bright yellow, bright green, bright red, um, dark blue, always variety of colors. And nowadays, if you drive around, most of the time you will see black, like white, silver, or gray, for the most part. Then mm-hmm. occasionally you might see like a dark red. Or a dark green or a dark blue. Very rarely you're seeing any bright, vibrant colors as cars. Mm-hmm. And then you just have even just the surroundings in your house. Like why well, I think it's fascinating. We'll talk more about this and kind of we'll talk more about this in the in the onset life stuff. But like, like uh, Barb's room, the like vibrant violet mm-hmm. colored room, uh, or the art is orange room. Where, like it's it's very everything's very colorful. Yeah red carpet everywhere yeah. red carpet even just the christmas lights are very oh, yeah there's some amazing scenes in the living room that's just lit by like christmas lights and the fire yeah, yeah. and that's that's yeah. it and it's and it's, it's like beautiful it's, ve- ve- it's very reminiscent of like the ending of christmas story mm-hmm. <laughs> when it's just the the christmas tree is is, is lighting the place yeah actually it's, it's everything just it's looks so if it's not a horror film it's very cozy yeah. at the end of the day yeah. like the house and everything yeah. It, it feels um, like a safe space, which is, you know, one of those yeah. things, you know, when, when, you know, when, when things start going wrong, I, I, I feel like this movie kind of avoids all those tropes about like, oh, get out of the house. Like even, yeah. even when this creeper's calling your phone, like you're in this like safe space that's like filled with your closest friends. And that's the thing that's yeah. kind of like that moment when they, when they call and, and they say, the call's coming from inside the house, leave now. And yeah. she's just like, both of my my two best friends are upstairs. They just went up, like they've they've, they've been upstairs. Yeah, they're in bed. Yeah, yeah. it's just like I haven't heard anything from them. Like everything should be fine. Um, yeah, you know they've they felt safe in this house the whole time. They have no idea there's four dead bodies upstairs at that point. Yeah, and that's a great scene. Well, I like the the like the back half becomes that interplay between like her and the cops, mm-hmm. and the cops. Where you have, I like the phone, tra- the phone call tracing stuff when they're trying to like find out who the killer is, and, and they build tension of like keep them on the phone longer. So she's having to deal with this 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 pervert basically. Uh, she thinks it's a pervert, um, uh, but now knows it's a killer, and he just kind of shouts obscenities, and she has to keep him on for ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like the play, interplay between her and John Saxon in those scenes. And then again, the, talking about the cough from inside the house, it's a good build of like they find out it's coming from inside the house, and Saxon calls the uh, the night guy the clerk, uh, Nash. Yeah. yeah, Nash. He's like, tell her, tell her to get out of the house, to walk outside and leave, but don't tell her the call is coming from inside the house. He's trying. Get bless, him, bless him. He's yeah, really he's, trying. Yeah, he's really trying. Uh, and, he, and it's kind. Of, it's it's a. And it's a 180 for his character because he's the one early on that's like doesn't really take them seriously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he sees it as a oh it's just when it's just girls being terrified by little things like it's no big deal. And you have that moment. Saxon's like, well, we have two two dead girls 
uh, and the co- and the and one of the girls uh, or two dead girls or or one girl missing, one girl dead, and there's obscene calls coming from from the house of uh, or to the house of one of the missing girls. Do you think it's worth investigating now? Is the thing. <laughs> But yeah, it's like he's trying his best not to tell her, and then he just like lets it out. He's like, "The calls coming from inside the house. Just get, get out. out of there. Just get out." And I, I always forget that this is where kind of that that term originated from. Everyone's like, "The calls coming from inside the house." Mm-hmm. It comes from this, and it's repeated again, almost word for word, in when a stranger calls. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, it's it's, and the ending, um, it does a good job of, of making you think it could be Peter. Yeah at the end i, I think like, that's there's, there's enough in there to I, I was trying when i was watching it this time i was trying to it was kind of like when when we were talking about low residencia i was i was trying to like in my mind i was like the first time i watched this like did did i really think it could be peter and and you kind of do because there's like you know the st- uh, every time billy's calling he's talking about the baby and what did you do to the baby and you're like all right if yeah. this guy really has snapped which we've seen him like trash a piano and stalk around the outside of the house you're like if this guy really has snapped that's probably what he would be doing and then yeah you know as the climax comes billy chases jess into the basement it gets quiet we hear billy leave the house and next thing we know peter's walking around and looking in the basement window like how would he know where she was jess was in the basement window and then he like breaks the window open which is not a very sane thing to do so it, it, it is set up well um and and you know as far as like not solving the mystery i mean at least i guess the movie does give you like okay it wasn't peter in the end like that that yeah. is kind of the the reveal of it but but the problem is that billy's still alive and now jess is alone it, that's it's another thing about that house feeling like a safe space everybody's like all right well let's just leave her alone in here <laughs> yeah we'll leave her alone we'll, we'll be outside and then just that that eerie feeling of it's a it's an empty house she's yeah. alone asleep and then you hear billy's voice coming from the attic and then you see claire one more time yeah. in the window rocking back and forth uh one more thing i want to bring up is i the the scene when the choir is outside mm-hmm. and olivia hussey is listening to the the, the 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 children's choir sing and it's cutting back to that or from that to mark Kidder being killed mm-hmm. And just the the contrast of the, of the two things, and that's that's kind of where the holiday horror like comes to a head, mm-hmm. where it's it's them them singing a a, a traditional Christmas uh, song, uh, cut to uh, or overlaid with a um, a a girl being killed upstairs in a room with a, in the same with house, a crystal unicorn. Well, the crystal unicorn. That scene feels very giallo to me. There's they play yes. with they play with the speed of yes. the film a little bit, and it, it's yeah, it's very it feels very European. It does. I agree with that. Just even the weapon that feels like a, like a Europe like a giallo weapon. Mm-hmm. Where like I'm gonna kill you with the, the statue or whatever. Yeah. Um. But yeah, all handled very well. And again, I love Margot Kidder when she's talking to the Claire's dad about turtles having sex, <laughs> like just going on this rant about it. Um. And I, I love the I love that dad because like he's so just like at first just like when they when they go to the cops and he's like ah oh, she probably just ran away with her boyfriend he goes that doesn't make me feel better like, it's like he's <laughs> <Yeah>. like he's just <laughs> like I don't want her to and he's like or or Mrs Mac is uh 
showing him around her room and he's seeing all the like posters and mm-hmm. stuff. He's like, I didn't pay for my child to come to a place like this. Mm. And then, <laughs> and then see after when, Miss, when he's going to take Mrs. Mac to a uh, town or whatever. She's and she's like, the cat. you know, the cat, you son of a bitch. <laughs> and then just like the guy walks up in the frame. She goes, Oh, it's so nice of you for giving me a ride after <laughs> she's been yelling the entire time. Um, but yeah, he, but Clark, they add a good, nice bit of comedy, especially that first half to carry you through. And, and like, again, these characters are not aware of what's happened. So they're just going to live their life mm-hmm. as is. And it's going to be funny. It's going to be dramatic with the abortion stuff. So it's going to be their own lives until everything just comes to a head in that back half. And it's, and it's handled incredibly well. Um, like I said, I mentioned earlier, I watched the remake for this, this the 06, and I just, in comparison, everything's like night and day difference. Where I love that there's no backstory to this character with Billy. That's like one of the big mm-hmm. key yeah. elements is that we don't need to know that he used to live in this house. Uh, there was all this stuff about child abuse. Let's just keep it as is. And we, I think we fill everything in on our own is the thing with this character. We, we have a feeling just by his phone calls. He was probably abused as a child. Yeah. We don't have to paint that picture. Yeah. It's already no, there. We definitely don't need to paint it as vividly as it is painted in the remake. And and, and just like it's way more gruesome. Uh, like there's where they're pulling out eyeballs and stuff. It's just very it's a lot. I didn't love it. Um, but I just want to bring up because the comparison of how Black Christmas, the pace is better. The way it's staged is better. Um, everything's just handled in a, in a, I feel like a more, it's a, it's a more well-crafted film mm-hmm. is what I mean. So moving on to onset life. So production for the film would start on March 25th, 1974 in Toronto, uh, for the film's key location, the sorority house, Clark and his team found an unoccupied house in Toronto that they rented out for the production. The main reason why Clark picked the house was because of the placement of the staircase he felt it was ominous and he knew he could get a good shot of someone's feet at the top of the stairs without seeing their body. And I think the staircase, it goes like down the center of the room. So that's why I kind of, it wasn't like off the side of the house mm-hmm. or whatever, like against the wall. It's like right down the middle. So you can like have a character at the bottom of the stairs. I think at the phone call at the phone. And then you could actually see in the background of just feet at the top of the stairs. So it's chilling. And that's what he's going for. Because the house was empty, it was in bad shape. Uh, like uh, Wallpaper was, was off the walls. Paint was chipped. So art director Karen Bromley would have to replace the wallpaper and repaint the house. Also, as we talked about, she would give each character's room its own specific color palette. The best example being Margaret Kidder's vibrant, uh, violet-colored violet room. The one issue the production had in Toronto, which surprised many of the crew at the time, was that there was a lack of snow in Toronto for this filming. <laughs> it never snows for a movie when you want it to. Nope. What little snow the production did have was closely guarded by the film by Karen Bromley, who recalled going to the, the house where, where much of the film was shot very early in the morning and making sure no one tracked through where through it because of the... Uh, <laughs> don't touch no my one snow. Tracked through, <laughs> yeah, no, no one tracked through it before cameras were rolling. She so was like, no, don't. We, already, we don't have much. Don't do it. Um, for the scenes where snow simply wasn't around, the production employed a fire truck spraying out flame retardant foam, which they used for like airport tarmacs, they said, to simulate a wintry look. 
When looking back on our time on set, Olivia Hussey said it was a very light and happy set, which was very opposite of what the film, the final film was. Uh, she said that going, or she said that they all got along nicely, but she did say that Margot Kidder and her, uh, or she said Margot Kidder was distant from the cast and crew during filming. Kidder also said that she got along nicely with the rest of the cast, specifically uh, Andrea Martin, who played Phil. Uh, she said they were always laughing on set, specifically during her death scene. Uh, she said that uh, Hussey was a bit of an odd one. <laughs> she said that Hussey was obsessed with the idea of falling in love with Paul McCartney through her psychic. <laughs> and, the, and they would all give her a hard time with things like that. Kidder also said that she was unaware about what was actually happening in the movie when they were shooting and didn't realize it until the final cut. <laughs> She's like, it's a horror film. Who I don't know what's going on. Um, according to Barb Clark, Mar Mark Kidder insisted on drinking real alcohol for various scenes where Barb was to be drinking and be intoxicated. So the turtle scene, she was apparently drunk is what, mm -hmm. what he's saying. Uh, Clark made it very apparent early on that he wanted to shoot scenes from the killer's perspective. So the director of photography, Reginald H. Morris, and the camera operator, Burt Dunk. What a name, Burt Dunk. Burt Dunk. Should have gone into basketball. I know. Developed a camera rig that would allow Dunk to use both of his hands while the camera was attached to his head or body. The rig was created for Dunk to climb the outside of the house with both hands while it was filming. Uh, because that worked so well, they decided to use that rig throughout most of the filming. And that's why Dunk is actually actually the physical version of the killer in the movie. So you, whenever you see his hands, they don't really know whose face it is, they said. They actually can't remember whose eye that is. They think it was probably Dunk, but they're not. Hmm. They can't remember, which is very odd. They can't remember Well, he does that. also, another thing when we were talking about kind of Peter as a red herring, um, there is one point when you get kind of his full silhouette and he does have hair very yeah. similar to Peter's as well. Yeah. There's one more... Uh, Peter's story with why he could be the killer. I'll, I'll say that a little bit later. Okay. Um, uh, actress Lynn Griffin, who I think who played Claire, revealed that for the scenes where she's wrapped in the plastic bag, she would rip a hole in the bag, stuffing the opening in her open mouth and poke nose holes in it with a pencil so she could breathe during filming. She said she would spend a lot of time with the bag over her face, uh, and luckily she was a swimmer, so she was really good at holding her breath, is what she said. Hmm. Uh, Cure Delay worked only for a week on this film, never meeting Mario Kidder, Lynn Griffin, Art Hendel, or Marion Waldman, <laughs> and, bar and barely met John Saxon and Andrea Martin. But the film car was carefully edited to where it feels like he was out. He was he was in the movie the entire time. Mm -hmm. um, when on set, they used minimal vulgarity for the phone calls uh, when they were shooting it. Uh, Bob Clark, the director of the phone call scenes were filmed before they recorded the profane dialogue. He said he wanted girls' reaction to be kind of low-key and numb as he didn't want them to overwhelm the shocking dialogue they used for the scene. So it was Clark off-camera reading kind of threatening dialogue but not obscene dialogue to them mm -hmm. um, to get their reactions. And then and in post-production, they would add the recordings afterwards to get the shocking effect of them listening to them. Because Black Christmas was produced on such a low budget, Clark cut costs and saved time wherever he could, which meant various crew members ended up playing small roles throughout the film. One of the film's producers appears as the film's ta as a taxi driver outside the sorority house when I think Mrs. when Mrs. Mack is about to leave for the si to see her sister. Um, the prop master appears as a snow as a snowmobiler during the search of the park. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember the when they're talking to that guy. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the costume designer appears as one of the sorority sisters in the movie. And a production supervisor appears as one of the police officers in the movie. So they're just like, who do we have on set? Let's throw them in this, in this scene. Production would wrap on in May of 1974 after filming for a total of 40 days. And that leads us into the aftermath of production. The biggest thing they had to do in post-production was creating the phone calls the characters received. According to Bob Clark, there were three voices used for Billy's frightening phone calls, including actor Nick Mancuso, an unnamed actress, and then Bob Clark himself. Um, during a, a panel in 2014, Nick Mancuso said that the actress was probably a, a actress named Ann Sweeney, though he didn't actually know because it was 40 years prior to the expo. Um, during Mancuso's audition for the role of Billy's disembodied voice, Bob Clark had him sit in a chair facing away from him so as not to see his face. He wanted to audition him solely off of his <laughs> voice. Um, Clark then had Mancuso experiment with different voices in order to come up with a voice that was right for the character. One of the, mes- uh, one of the methods he used was having Mancuso compress the thorax in his neck by standing on his head. So he would stand on his head while recording lines of dialogue for this movie. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, composer Carl Zittery said in an interview that he had created the bizarre music score for the film by tying forks, combs, and knives to strings of the piano so the sound would warp as he struck the keys. Uh, he also said he would distort mm. the sound further by recording audio tape while putting pressure on the reels of the machine to, to make it turn slower. So that's how I get the score. Of the yeah, movie. that's. I, I was I was wondering watching it this past time. I was like, there's definitely some sort of strings being hit, but I can't tell. Yeah. What so what's had, happening there? Yeah. So you have forks, knives, combs to get the kind of. They want like a sharp feel when the when the when the chords hit. Mm-hmm. The film would be released on October 11th, 1974, in Canada. It would prove to be a financial hit with Canadian audiences, with many uh, contributing this to the film's creative marketing. They would include, uh, basically, the marketing included would include weird drawings in the newspaper for the film. And for the last 12 days before the film's release in Canada, they would print advertisements in the newspapers, counting down the days until there would be a Black Christmas. So it'd be 12 days until Black Christmas, 11 days till Black Christmas. Every day would be a different one, building the the uh, kind of word of mouth for this movie before it ever came out. Mm-hmm. Warner Brothers would catch one of the film's success in Canada and they would purchase the rights to it. But Warner Brothers did not like the film's ambiguous ending surrounding Jess. As we said, everyone leaves Jess in the house. As they leave, she's left sleeping in a room and you hear Billy's voice in the attic and you, it's left to wonder, does Jess die or does she survive? Because um, it, it's, it's always set up right that he makes a call after a kill, right? Yes, and and the phone starts ringing. Yeah. Is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it ring. I guess it, it rings thirteen times. So the phone's ringing as we're going through the house. Um, Warner Brothers pitched a concluding scene where Chris, Claire's boyfriend, appears in front of Jess at her bed at the end and says, "Agnes, don't tell them what we did before he kills Jess." That was going to be the ending. Um, Clark refused to do the ending. And Black Christmas would be seen, uh, and and, and uh, refused the ending, and it kept it as was. Now, I think originally, Clark and Moore didn't know what to do for the ending, and so they wrote one ending where Jess survived, 
and then one ending where Jess was killed. And then they kind of decide on having a more ambiguous ending for the audience to decide. Mm -hmm. Um, But with that ending, they kept the ending. So everything was going to stay the same for Black Christmas. Except one thing. Warner Brothers didn't like the title of the film. And they thought audiences would think it was a black exploitation film and not a horror film. Mm. So they changed the title from Black Christmas to Silent Night, Evil Night. Yeah. During its release in some cities. Some cities, it was called Black Christmas still. They they, they changed the title in different cities, mm-hmm. it seems like, from what I was reading. Uh, the film would be, screen- would be screened in America, premiere in America, and a year later, in October of 1975, in New York, Chicago, and then 19 theaters in Los Angeles, where it generated decent t- ticket sales for the time. But once the film expanded to more theaters, it would not do as well later being seen as a box office failure. Some would say it was due to the title change and the lack of creative marketing that the film had initially in Canada. It just didn't hit with American audiences. Um, as the review And the reviews would not help for the film, many criticizing the senseless killings, the unnecessary violence, and its odd whodunit structure. But its success in Canada would allow the film to turn a profit, grossing a total of $4 million worldwide against a $620,000 budget. Wow. And it would be the third highest grossing film in Canada in 1974. But that's not it for the release of, of Black Christmas, because four years later, it was going to receive a television premiere on NBC. Now under a completely different name, the other two names that they had for the film. It was now called Stranger in the House. <laughs> it just keeps getting worse. At least make it like Stranger <laughs> in the House at Christmas. Like, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and it was going to be shown... Not at Christmas time, Thomas, on January 28th, 1978. What? Yeah. I was going to say, okay, Halloween. Yeah, that's fine. But Yeah, January, late January <laughs> at that. However, two weeks prior to the movie's television premiere, there was a double murder at a sorority house at Florida State University. Ah, Bundy. It was Ted Bundy. The killer killed two girls and then went next door to another sorority house and attacked two other girls. Several southern states asked NBC not to show the film since it was too similar to what happened at FSU. Initially, NBC offered their affiliates a replacement movie. I think it was called Doc Savage, uh, adaptation of the of the comic book or the or the, the comic from earlier in, earlier in the in the uh, century. Uh, but NBC would then quickly decide to pull the film altogether uh, and did not did not release it on TV until May of that year, which is even a more odd time. May of 1978. As you said, the, t- the killer would eventually be Ted Bundy. They they identified later on uh, from FFSU. So yeah. After his release, Bob Clark met Riot director John Carpenter, and they were working on a project together. That project was apparently never released, but the work did eventually lead to Carpenter one day expressing to Clark that he loved Black Christmas, and he asked if a sequel or companion film con- companion film would ever be made. Clark said he wasn't interested in going back to that territory, but he offered up an idea that could be a sequel to Black Christmas. He said, it's about Bill. It's about after Billy was captured, he was put into an institution and the movie would begin the night he escapes oh, back in town and they did not know it yet. And he's like, I'm going to call it Halloween. That's what Bob Clark said to John Carpenter. Wow. Yeah. Clark says he deserves the full, uh, full credit he's gotten for doing that movie. A few words about an idea, hardly a screenplay, and then a finish, or 
a few words about an idea are hardly a screenplay compared to a finished movie. So he gives Carpenter all the credit, but that's wild. It sounds like it, it was an idea I'd, from Bob I'd Clark. I never, I never, I, I knew it like stylistically influenced Halloween, but I didn't realize yeah. Halloween was a sequel to. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know how, how true it is, but I've heard that, and I know specifically they were like, "We want to make a Halloween movie." So I don't know if if Carpenter had heard that, and I don't know what happened, but that's the chain of events. It sounds like. Hmm. Um, I don't know if Carpenter would say that. I don't know. Clark would later actually pass away, and I think two thousand seven. He was killed by a drunk driver is what it was. Um, But yeah, we'll never know if that's a true story or not, unless Carpenter says it. Um, The film's legacy would soon grow with me saying it was one of the biggest influences on the slasher genre and calling John Carpenter's Halloween a direct descendant, which I think inspired the whole uh, run of late 70s, 80s horror films. Mm -hmm. Uh, It has since appeared on countless lists from various publications about the greatest horror films of all time. And it's also been noted by several critics. The film was an early feminist horror film due to the portrayal of female characters in the film and how it deals with abortion. And even just the casual misogyny from the police officers who don't believe the sorority girls at first, like all these little things and details, they kind of pinpoint as like a way of early feminist horror films. Mm -hmm. And I would say the film's legacy is continuing to grow just this year alone in LA. There's at least two, two or three theaters showing the film this month in december oh wow nice the the new art showing it tomorrow night i believe new beverly showing it in a, uh in a few weeks so yeah it's it's i think it's weirdly growing 50 years later mm-hmm. and people are discovering it um after all this time so thomas what worked about this film um i think the the approach to horror works it's it's much mm-hmm. more it's it's slow and drawn out and suspenseful and then you've got that voice and so the 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 scariest parts of this this movie are not billy leaping out from the shadows it's it's billy stalking and having having to you know it's it's that that point of view like there's something just supremely creepy about having to be in billy's mind you know yeah it's like i i can't i can't get away from like seeing the world through him and he's muttering and and i just i don't want to be here right now and and i think that's so much more effective than than just you know flashes of violence um yeah so i think that's 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 one of the things that really sticks out to me as i as i continue to kind of explore other slashers and and come back to this one is 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 the way that they approach kind of billy and the and the the way he's characterized through his voice and the way that the movie just kind of sits with him instead of Mm -hmm instead of you know leaping out at you constantly no i agree i agree they handle them i think perfectly and they uh they again it's the it's they don't give it that much backstory it's like it's it shows that you don't really need that much lore to be terrifying about a character um i also i mean i think the christmas setting is really perfect for this movie Mm. like it's it's done in a way where like it's important to the plot, I guess you could say, but it's used more as a backdrop than it being integral to the story. Mm-hmm. Like you could you could do this story without being Christmas, but just something about it adds an extra layer to it. Again, like I said, it's a time when you're supposed to feel safe and you're supposed to be around people you care about and nothing goes wrong at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Unless it's, unless it's a political discussion at dinner, but um, uh, 
and here you have this again like i said it's it's the house it's that you should feel protected in your own home mm-hmm. the violence shouldn't be coming from within right and that's the big reveal which now might seem almost it's weird. now it almost might seem cliche to do that but even when watching it this time and maybe because I've seen it before, it doesn't feel cliche in any way. Mm-mm. It feels like even though it's the first one, I think it still does it incredibly well. Yeah. And, well, you know, it's 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 because we're clued in. I mean, from literally the first shot that he's that we're clued in that he's in the attic. It's you're not you're not waiting for that twist of like, oh, he's in the house. It's more just like how how are they going to react? How's Jess yeah. going to react when she hears this news? How are the police yeah. going to react when they figure this out? Yes, it's that's the difference between mystery and suspense. Kind of, it's like it, it builds off suspense and not the mystery mm-hmm. of it. Um, but yeah, um, I think cinematography worked as I said. The, yeah, the look it looks, of it, yeah, um, it looks fantastic. The way it's shot, it um, yeah, especially for a, a film done fairly on the cheap at that time. Yep. The production design, the the camera work, everything. Yeah, and it's yeah. every every print of it I've seen is really good. Like it's it's been yeah. well preserved. Yeah. It has. I think it has they just been. did a 4K release of it, yeah, this year. Possibly, yeah, yes, and that probably looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like that 4K probably looks beautiful. Um, did anything not work about this film, Thomas? I, I I don't. If if I if they intended for it to be a mystery, like I said, there there are a lot of clues that that kind of point towards Peter, but I think the fact that we spend so much time with Billy does yeah. kind of take away from that. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. It's like the perfect mystery, but then in the end, you know, it it really doesn't end up trying to be like a whodunit because ultimately, it's like yeah, you're never gonna know, and that's what makes it, I think, scarier. But um, but yeah, I I do think kind of rewatching it this time from and trying to see like, okay, is it realistically trying to point me in the direction of Peter? I don't think it quite gets there, but um, but they do it. They do a decent job with it. Yeah. Yeah. You you can you can understand her believing it to be Peter. Yeah, and and the cop, you, can, you can understand in the end when she's killed him. Everybody who is looking at the situation says, "Okay, this is done. This is the guy." Yeah. yeah. Um. How put this? Um. I don't need this, but like I feel like a lot of the the guy characters are just like useless. <laughs> like like the 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 Claire's boyfriend is there. But isn't that memorable to me? Not saying mm. he's bad. Maybe I'm wrong. I love his. I mean, he has a good coat. He has a great fantastic coat. Fantastic coat. Fantastic coat. Fantastic coat. That's the best thing about that character, sadly, in my opinion. Um, maybe I just may also might be I find that the female characters way more interesting. Yeah. Which is the purpose? Isn't that just so kind not, of college not, in general. I'm though? not. Comp- yeah. <laughs> I'm not. It's like I'm not complaining about it. I'm just stating that's if you want to be nitpicky, uh, they're more interesting, and that's also the purpose of the movie. So I'm not. It's like it's not. It's not. I think it doesn't work. It's just that's the difference between the two. I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm. It's nitpicky, as I said. All right. Um. Anything else didn't work about the movie? I don't think so. Okay. Go. Good runtime. Very short. Um, all right, film facts. So in order to raise more suspicion for Peter possibly being the killer, um, Nick Mancuso, who voices Billy, dubbed over six of uh, 
hear delays lines of dialogue. Oh, whoa, that's cool. So I tried to make that. That's a good. That's a good little trick, yeah. I would say. Um, none of the actors portraying teenagers in the film were actually in their teens. In fact, the oldest actor to portray a college student was Keir Delay, who was 38 years yeah, old. I mean, the guy, already, well, he's like a grad student, I think they, they, yes, they set so up. Yes, so you can get away with it, yeah. Um, Lynn Griffin and Olivia Hussey were the youngest actors on set, being 22 and 23. Oh, the film setting, did you, I don't know if it's set up, but did you catch what the name of the town is? Hmm. Bedford. Oh, nice. For, for Bedford Falls and It's Wonderful Life. The original script for the film before Bob Clark came to do rewrites, was 166 pages. The script was then later used for the basis of the long out-of-print novelization of the book, or of the movie, written by Lee Hayes, which was, again, not released until 1976, two years after the film's release. Hmm. Uh, in the book, they go more into the backstory of Billy and the other characters, is what it is. Not, um, that, not that we need that. We didn't need it. <laughs> um last thing in 1986 olivia hussey met producers of the film roxanne since they were interested in casting her for the title role of roxanne roxanne co-star steve martin met her and said oh my god olivia you're one of my favorite films of all time thinking it was romeo and juliet <laughs> olivia was surprised to find out it was actually black christmas and martin claimed he had seen it around 27 times wow at that point also a legend that is out there another fan of black christmas was apparently elvis presley huh. he apparently watched the movie and loved it and for it wasn't a long tradition because he would die three years later but they said every year at christmas he would watch black christmas but and the rumor is that his family continued watching black christmas every christmas afterwards probably an urban legend <laughs> but it's a fun one that like elvis like, i like this movie i'm gonna watch this yeah. every year he probably watched it twice. I think, it was, it, I think it was also on a lot of uh, a lot of uppers at that point. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. But yeah, so so it had a it had a cult following, and the movie still has a cult following, and hopefully more people go and watch it. Um, so awards, the Beatrice Strait Award actor actually in scenes that kills it. Who do you have for this? Well, um, I had Art Hindle, but uh, he just stopped <laughs> on my dreams. <laughs> I really like Art Hindle. I'm a big brood guy. You, if you go back and listen to our... Um, He's great in the brood. You, you go back and, May- and listen to our month. Uh, that was probably my favorite Cronenberg okay. movie that, that we hadn't seen yet, I think. That uh-huh. I haven't seen yet. But The Coat, man. The Coat. And, the Coat's um, great. Yeah, I don't. I think he's just like a good dude in this. Like, you know, he's, very, he's very one note, but it's like you kind of expect... Especially because mm-hmm. it's like, like sh- there's like, oh, Claire was dating like a bad boy and he was corrupting her and he's this hockey player and then they go get him. And then yeah. he's just like, he's nice to Claire's dad. He's just trying to, he's just trying to help out. I, I like the presence of, of okay. him in the movie. Okay. Now, now I'm going to rewatch it and see how I feel <laughs> about him. I, I just, I just, I mean, he, again, he just looks great in that coat. He's got, he looks fantastic great in the coat. Hair. He's got a great coat. He's, he's so, so 70s, so 70s Canada. I agree with all that. I agree with the coat part. And he looks great. And he's a nice character. Um, is Andrea Martin not... Would she be in supporting? I'd, I'd put her in supporting. The only other person I'd really nominate, I think, for this would be uh, 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 Sergeant Nash. The I was going to say Sergeant Nash is mine. Yeah. Uh, okay. Because I think, I think he's kind of... It's like... 
it's the fellatio yeah it's, he's the comedic relief character yeah no i, I back that because he, he's the comedic relief character but then he really ends up delivering like one of the the, the biggest kind of he's he's he ties into like one of the biggest suspense scenes in the movie yeah and again, I think I think his character has a good again 180 where he's like not believing them, writing them off, and then just becomes by the end is 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 a integral part in the the story of getting them out or getting uh, Jess out. Okay, all right, I'll back that. Uh, Miss Bradford, uh, this is Sergeant Nash. Are you the only one in the house? No. Phil and Barbara upstairs asleep. Why? All right. Now, I want you to do exactly what I tell you without asking any questions, okay? No questions. Now, just put the phone back on the hook, walk to the front door, and leave the house. What's wrong? Please, Miss Bradford, please just do as I tell you. Okay. I'll get Phil and Bob. No, no, no! Don't do that, Jess! Jess! The caller is in the house. The calls are coming from the house. Jess! Jess, get up! And don't go out there. All right, Annie Potts X Factor Award Sporting Actor Actress is the most memorable in the film. It okay, my two people, I would is it Kidder or John Saxon? It's probably I think it's it's probably Kidder, but I really like I think so John too. Saxon. Kidder, Kidder's got a little bit less screen time and I think does more with her screen time. But I'm a big John Saxon guy. Another shout out, uh, uh, New Nightmare. Big, yeah. big fan of of New Nightmare. Talk about a dude who like doesn't really age from. <laughs> he looks exactly the same. From Black Christmas to New Nightmare. Yep. Not even not, not even Nightmare on Elm Street. Literally from Black Christmas to New Nightmare, he looks the exact same mm-hmm. to me, and it's like a twenty year difference. Like at that point, he was like in his like late fifties in a new nightmare and here he's probably in his he's in his late 30s here mm-hmm. it's insane but yeah i think kidder really uh really shines in this movie like you said i think again the turtle scene's great i think that and, and the interplay she has with nash when she's like it's a new it's a new uh whatever it is that which gives him the phone number for the house mm-hmm. um yeah i like her i like her a lot you know this is a very little-known fact, but did you know that there's a certain species of turtle There's a certain species of turtle that can screw for three days without stopping? You don't believe me, do you? Well, I mean, how could I make something like that up? Uh, Barb, dear. Uh, I, 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 uh... No, really, they did three days, 24 hours a day. Can you believe that, three days? I'm lucky if I get three minutes. Do you know how I know this? Because I went down to the zoo and I watched them. It was very boring. All right, the Gene Hackman MVP award, the person who carries the movie, director, actor, etc., uh, I think it's pro- I think it's Clark for me. Uh, it, it sounds well. like, especially given what you've kind of told me on the episode yeah. about, it sounds like everything that he brought to the movie is what makes it unique. Yes, it would have just kind of been a basic slasher if he hadn't brought his vision to it. Which, um, just not, I feel like, not a lot of horror movies you can kind of come in and say like, oh, th- giving it to the director. I mean, I guess like Hitchcock, yeah. and, but um, 
yeah, it really does sound like because he was kind of a non-horror guy, I think he brought a lot of, of really cool ideas to it. Um, yeah. And and in, 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 in wanting to put this cast together and then yeah, I, I think it I think he's he's the deciding factor in this being like a really unique piece. Yeah. Well he had done also he had done like two horror films before this. Mm. So he had done a little bit of horror, but n- nothing that was as good as um as this. One was a horror comedy, so I don't know if I would put it as a straight horror, but the film he did right before this was a horror film. Um but no yeah, he with like I said, as as I said, that the stuff that he changes, it's like the only thing that that, that that he didn't change that was apparently Timothy Bond was giving it a college setting. Mm. But Clark coming in and be like, hey, I want to write sophisticated young kids because I think kids are smarter than what we give them credit for in movies. I mean, it's almost like it's it's the like Rebel Without a Cause, like early fifties or sixties like teen films. Like, hey, I want to write about kids, uh, or even just American Graffiti. I want to write about kids. And how kids actually are, mm-hmm. and he tries to do that within the as within the kind of framework of a horror film, which is I think commendable and is interesting, especially for this time period. Um, I think the the title change is great. I think the uh, the humor aspect is great. He makes it to where it's not just like you said, a straight slasher film. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a vision for it essentially, um, and he he knows how to he he. he creates an incredibly crafted movie. So, yeah, Bob Clark, Gene Hackman, VP Award. I'm quitting the conservatory and we're getting married. We'll say something. Do you remember when we first met? You told me about your wanting to be a concert pianist. How it was your greatest dream. And I told you about some of the things that I wanted to do. I still want to do those things. You can't ask me to drop everything I've been working for and give up all my ambitions because your plans have changed. Be realistic. I can't marry you. Sure you can. What does it change? We could be married. You could still do anything you wanted to do. Peter, I don't want to marry you. All right, final questions. If it was made in the night, which what what, what decade did you pick? I went, I went 90s. I, I went like mid 90s, okay. like 95. Okay. So if this film was made in the mid 1990s, who would you cast, Thomas? Okay. How how do you what order do you want it? I've got all the girls, the two boyfriends, Lieutenant Fuller okay. and Mrs. Mack. Oh wow. All right, let's go with the boyfriends. Okay, for Chris, I've got Joey Lawrence. <laughs> okay, just a just a just a good dude, kind of meathead kind of character. I think that's great. Yeah. It's good. I mean, I, I like him. He's not he's not the nice guy, but I like him in uh, we talked was Urban Urban Legends Final Cut where he's the, uh, oh, the yeah, rich yeah. boy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Joey Lawrence is Chris. Okay, for Peter gotta go jeremy sisto right <laughs> kind of physically imposing kind of yeah. kind of dubious jeremy sisto po- post clueless okay yeah. i like that i like that all right who do you want next um let's go with 
Do you have Claire? I do have Claire. All right, let's go with Claire. Allison Hannigan. Oh wow, yeah, that's a good that's a good pick for that. Just kind of the innocent one. Well, seem comes off as like a little bit younger. I don't know if they say that she's younger than them, but she comes off as like a little she bit younger feels than them. Yeah. Younger. She feels like she's a freshman. Yeah. She feels like she's a freshman because mm-hmm. it's it's the it's the father showing up like I didn't pay for her to like. Yeah, yeah. He's he's obviously like this. like this is his first introduction to her being in a sorority kind of thing. Yes, I agree. This one I time like in my sorority, <laughs> we all got murdered. I, I was... <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay, so that that is that's Claire, um, Phil. Yeah, Phil. Phil, I've got Carrie Russell. Interesting pick. Hmm. I was trying to go a little bit more comedic, but then I was like, I, I don't know. I, I, I thought Carrie Russell felt right. I, I like her as Phil. I would also she'd be a good Barb. I think she could play a really good Barb mm, if she wanted just to. Wait. I don't know. Who, just wait I until you get my Barb. <laughs> I figured you would have a good Barb. Um, all right, before we go to Barb, let's go with um, Lieutenant Fuller. Lieutenant Fuller, Dennis Franz. I like he's just France. he's got cop he, he's a cop, he has cop energy but but he can, he can be, be a, he, cop, a cop or a criminal yeah. he's really great either and and he can be warm like he's got some roles where he's kind of warm which is the thing with Fuller. he was never he was always kind of a tough guy cop but um yeah but he could be like a kind of you know because i think fuller is just a good good dude you know and yeah. uh yeah he, he's he's concerned about these girls and, and i think he could do that well and then we have Barb is next. Mrs. Mack. You want you want your Mrs. Oh, sorry, Mac? Mrs. Mack. Thank you, Mrs. Mack. Thank you, Mrs. Mack. All right, this is, I, I went in a different direction with this character. It's not the kind of like bum, bumbling aunt. I wanted, I wanted like the, I wanted like an older Barb is who I was thinking of. Like she is someone oh. who was like in a sorority and was maybe like the the the, the top girl in in the sorority and then like maybe is like divorced or something and wanted to become like a sorority mom, like a house mom. You know, I, I will say I will say this though, that was an idea for a sequel to Black Christmas. Was that Jess was now the sorority mother? Well, and then they, they have the uh, Andrew Martin is in the the 2006 remake as the as the sorority yes. mother, um, and it was between it was between her and Margaret Kidder apparently they said for that role because they they introduced that Mrs. Mack is like kind of an alcoholic and, and, and yeah, I, I wanted to, she keeps having bottles yeah, yeah, placed yeah. everywhere. I wanted to lean yeah. more into that, so um, okay, I've got Anne Bancroft. Oh, Anne Bancroft would be good for that role. Oh man, she'd be really good for that role because she's because here's the thing: Anne Bancroft is like is like the first thing I think is like oh the graduate or miracle worker. Mm. But Anne Bancroft, she's married to Mel Brooks. She was so damn funny, mm-hmm. like is the thing, and so she could play that very the comedic part very well for Mrs. Mack. I agree. All right, okay. So now we've got Barb and Jess left. Okay, Barb. Barb. Let's go with Barb. It's, it's mid '90s. You want you want a bad girl. It's got to be Feruza Balk, man. It's 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 just got to. Um, yeah, you could see that. I think it's a different character for sure. The the other person I was thinking was Juliette Lewis, but but I I think I I like I think Feruza Balk. Well, here's the thing. I I are good. I'm trying to picture who's yelling at the moaner on the phone, and Feruza Balk. I think would be the more fun mm-hmm. choice there. Um. I think it's a little bit different type of bad girl than Mario Kidder. Mm-hmm. But it's also um, the nineties. Like she's gotta be she gotta be like a nineties sorority girl, you know? Yeah. She's she's kind of the punk the punk sorority girl, yeah. is what you're saying, yeah. like in a way. Mm-hmm. Like her maybe her mom's a legacy and that's why she's here, but she doesn't want to be here is the thing. Mm-hmm. There's always that. 
Um, okay. What do you have for Jess? Lift Tyler. Our final girl. Oh. I thought like that's my response to every one of your things. <laughs> Ooh. Um, Latara's great. I think she has that kind of that quiet calmness to her that Olivia Hussey has mm-hmm. in this role. And I think she could really handle the the you know the more dramatic uh, subplot of this yeah, of yeah. this movie as well. Yeah. I'm, I've never seen The Strangers with her. I've always wanted to see mm. The Strangers with her because because I know she because she's played she's been in horror before yeah, yeah. Or, or at least after that. Um, yeah, Empire Records level or era. Yeah, Liv Tyler. Okay, so we got Liv Tyler, Bruce Balk, uh, Carrie Russell, Carrie Russell. Yeah, listen, yeah, Allison Hannigan, Joey Lawrence, yep. Jeremy Sisto, Dennis Franz, and Bancroft. I mean, it's nineties. Mm-hmm. It's very nineties. So I was that just trying. I was trying to avoid anyone who had been in like Scream or I Know What You Did Last Summer. And so, yeah. yeah. What. I will I will ask this. If you put Alicia Silverstone in this movie, where does she go? Um Or does she go anywhere? Maybe Barb? I did it at, I, I, at one point when I was listing out people I had uh Brittany Murphy for Phil. Um Brittany Murphy would be a good player as well, too, yeah. I think. Um, I don't know if I don't know if Alicia Silverstone fits in this. Maybe I don't think so. Maybe maybe not. Maybe she. We will. I, mean, she's, I, we, I think we will see her later this month, though. Oh well. Oh well. Is she in? Is she in? Uh, she's in the lodge. She's in the lodge. Okay. I haven't. Seen the, I haven't seen the lodge yet. So I'll. I'll yeah. I'm excited to see. Um. All right. I like that cast. I like that. It's a good. It's a. It's, it's good. Nineties cast mm-hmm. coming out. Would be coming out post Scream. Uh. When was Scream? Scream was ninety six. I. I've. I pictured this is 95 is where okay 95 yeah so right right before right before okay i like it okay uh does this film fit with any other genres uh christmas horror slasher mm-hmm. college college movie sorority college movie. movie yeah i also said college movie i think it deals with, with a lot of because it's not coming of age uh <laughs> but it de- but it deals with like just young adult issues yeah. is the thing mm-hmm. so i would put that in, in college movie territory for sure i think that's yeah i think that's about it all right uh how does this film fit with the holiday horror genre uh you know it's it's got kind of all the staples it's got the aesthetic i think i think being being lit by multicolor christmas lights is like a huge part of yes. of uh christmas horror um and it's got the music and it's it's you know it's just one of those things that drops you into the setting immediately and you're like okay it's christmas time let's go we know this and it and it does twist it doesn't get as playful with it as they will get later on like nobody's stabbed with a candy cane or or, you know Mm -hmm. choked out with christmas lights or and the killer's not wearing a santa costume uh which i think kind of become the kind of less good tropes uh of the of the genre but it but it's definitely got that aesthetic and that setting and it and it's instantly like gives you that that kind of weird feeling that these movies do that they're like this is supposed to be the happiest like you said like nothing nothing yeah. bad happens at christmas and and then and then it does yeah i think with a lot of these movies you're going to have it's about taking place in the home mm-hmm. it's like uh, christmas basically i think christmas allows you to be like hey 
let's make a horror film in the house and so it's not boring does that make sense it's like let's give it a little more pizzazz so it's we're not just trapped in a home the entire time Mm -hmm. but i think with the good ones like black christmas the it's home is used as like i guess symbolic maybe in a way where it's it's not just in the home to be in the home for its sake or whatever Mm -hmm. it's the idea of the home is protection um the home is where you should feel safe right and in this case it's actually your ultimate downfall is that you're you put yourself in this home in this this house for protection it's actually the most the unsafest thing you could do yeah um and i think that's what makes the i think a, a good holiday horror film is how you use the aspect of home and the holiday to your advantage hmm. and not just putting it in a house with christmas lights is um there's more there's a layer to it is home alone a christmas horror film it could be i mean i think if you were from the perspective of the bandits it'd probably be a horror <laughs> film well, well we'll touch on that uh next week <laughs> better watch out so yeah so that's on black christmas anything else you want to say about black christmas Uh, i I do want to say we warned you all to not watch the 2006 version i would also warn you to not watch the 2017 2018 2019 version uh i have also watched that one and it's even worse um i've heard i've heard rotten tomatoes not to bring rotten tomatoes in this in this argument but like i know rotten tomatoes it's a higher score than this in the first remake yeah i mean it depends i i, I don't think the cast is as good in the i, I think mm-hmm. the 2006 one at least has that cast going for it but um they just like completely throw out it is it is has nothing to do yeah. with the original except for you know name in, in name only and the idea of sorority girls getting murdered but yeah um, i yeah, I know it's it's a it's fraternity. It's a it's the frat guys where yeah, it's yeah. but it's like it it involves like a, this ritual and this like demonic entity, and it's just it's kind of weirdly derivative of uh, Cabin in the Woods, which is already derivative of everything else. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's 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 a it's one of the worst of that kind of weird post uh, that kind of weird post get out era when everybody was like well my horror movie has to have a political message and it's like okay but you, you also need to tell a story you don't need to hit us over the head yeah. with your uh <laughs> with what you're trying to say with this well i'm probably i'm probably gonna watch it just because i'm already on this route of watching i've watched two of them um but i going off just a statement on horror it's like we're in that we're in that second remake craze right now it feels like or the requel or whatever mm-hmm. you want to say it's gonna be um and I'm just like, for some reason, just now realizing this with everything coming out in the past two, year, two or three years. But like, it, it it's reminiscent of that mid 2000s era when like we gotta remake every single mm-hmm. horror film out there. But now, and I'm not saying this is a, a good thing or bad thing. Now a lot of them have to have some sort of message to them in some way, and that could be toxic fandom or or or. Um, mob mentality with like halloween kills or whatever um toxic fandom for like the screen screen movies or whatever um but you have to bring some sort of message and sometimes it works with audiences and sometimes it doesn't i think i think it's harder anytime you're anytime you're you're making a movie where there's a sp- specific perspective on something mm-hmm. you're gonna lose some audience members yeah and, I, some and I think i think the original as we've said i think the original for 
a horror movie in that period not a lot of them were kind of it definitely does feel like a feminist horror film and, and it does uh, so you know give it a little credit for being a little bit more subtle back then in 74 yeah. than they were in 2019 but yeah. yeah so i will watch 2019 version at some point so i can have a, a actual good statement of some kind on it so we'll see how this month goes for that <laughs> um but yeah uh this month we got a lot of stuff lined up for you we're doing uh gremlins later in the month we're doing the movie called the lodge which was a, a thomas pick as well which i have not seen they were i think we're finishing off the the year with that we'll also finish off the year with the patreon episode that'll be the last week of december so please be sure to subscribe to our patreon so you can get that again it's one dollar five dollar ten dollar uh the your contribution helps keep the show running and helps us produce more content so please keep doing that if you can uh but next week thomas what are we talking about uh next week we will be talking about whether or not home alone is a horror movie with the uh with the film uh better watch out yep which is a one, one, uh, another video store find for me. That was one that I found at the video store as well. Uh, it's in a file video um, released in 2016. So stay tuned for that. Is it streaming anywhere for people out there? Let me see. It is currently streaming. Oh, a lot of places. So you guys have no excuse. Um, <laughs> it's streaming on Pluto TV, Tubi TV, Shutter, Canopy, Hoopla, Peacock, Crackle, Freebie, literally anywhere. And a lot of these places are free. So go check them out uh i think it's a very divisive film we'll find out i don't know we'll we'll see <laughs> maybe i'm just i'm going off people i know from the video store so that's next week uh and that's it on black christmas uh if you have any questions for us feel free to contact us at sendationpodcast.gmail.com send us your questions comments or even kind words and if you're a new listener or if you're a fan of the show and for some reason you haven't subscribed to us be sure to do so so you can stay up to date on all of our new episodes you can subscribe to our show on apple podcast spotify google podcast stitcher or wherever your podcast and if you haven't already be sure to write us a review on your preferred podcast platform come in here guys we don't want a lot for christmas there's just <laughs> one thing we need and that's a great review on on Apple, on the Apple Podcast. Preferably. What's it called? Any, any it's not them. iTunes anymore. Apple Podcast. No, it's Apple Podcast. Yeah. yeah, that had to make that switch at some point. Some people still call it iTunes. We still get downloads from iTunes. So some people still have iTunes on their computer. <laughs> um, they can download. So there is that. Uh, I mean, or if it's like Overcast or like another one of those places. I mean, if you, if you did a review on there, send us a screenshot through our email. <laughs> we'll, we'll read it on the show. Just we can't have ac- we don't have access to that. So if you can do that, and finally, don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterbox, and TikTok. And again, join our Patreon; it's very helpful. Thomas, as always, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, and thank you all for listening. We hope to listen to more episodes soon. Bye.